We open in the Word of God this evening to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we have been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' instruction here about the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, we've looked at the first half of this chapter, the first 18 verses, but I do want to read those verses tonight. We'll begin reading at verse 1 and read through verse 24. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, and we read through verse 24. Take heed that ye do not your alms, and Jesus means they are not just your giving, but your gifts or, or, or your acts of kindness. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of men. Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the street, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive, not, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you that they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And then from verse 19 through 24 is the text for the sermon this evening. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, 
Thy whole body shall be full of light, but if thine eye be evil or unhealthy, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for he, either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. The Sermon on the Mount, beloved, which we've called the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that ever was, is a sermon that Jesus intended for a believing audience. In the beginning of chapter 5, his disciples came unto him. And so the word tonight is for you and for me as believers. This is not a word for us to think of with application to the world of ungodly men, but it's a word for us to receive for ourselves. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes the character and the life of the citizens of heaven. In the Beatitudes at the beginning of the sermon, he describes the inner spiritual characteristics of those who belong to the kingdom of heaven. He describes a Christian from the point of view of who he is on the inside, poor in spirit, hungering and thirsting after righteousness peacemakers, and so on. Does that describe you? In the second section of the sermon, in chapter 5 still, Jesus shows that in Christianity there is an absolute moral standard. He says, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And he says to us concerning our righteous obedience to the law that it must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And then he applies that in a number of different commandments. And you can think, for example, of what he says about killing. The Bible says, thou shalt not kill. Jesus says, if you call your brother a fool, you're guilty of murder. Or you can think of what he says about lust. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus says adultery is more than just an inappropriate consenting sexual relationship, but if you look on a woman to lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery with her already. In chapter 6, which we could call the third section of the sermon, we are really dealing with life as Christians in this world before God our Father. Life as Christians in this world before God our Father. And in this chapter, Jesus talks more about God as Father than anywhere else in the New Testament. We saw that in what we read when Jesus teaches you to pray. He says, pray this way, our Father, which art in heaven. Later in the chapter, he'll talk about worry and concern. He says, your Father knows what you have need of. And so, Life in this world as Christians before God our Father. Chapter uh, 6 can be divided nicely into two sections. The first section having to do with what we could call our life of worship. The second section, our secular life. So in our life of worship, we looked in the first uh, verses of this chapter at three different things. Almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. Religious exercises. How do you live before God? How do you live genuinely before God? Not to be seen of men 
and to seek praise of men, but in sincerity. Now, from verse 19 to the end of the chapter, we are talking still about our life as Christians before God, but we're talking about that from a worldly or secular point of view. We live in this world. How do we live in a material world before God, our Father? And that's really what Jesus is pointing to in the last half of the chapter. And in the text for this evening, Jesus, as it were, sets down a governing principle for all of our living. He's going to talk about work. He's going to talk about wealth. He's going to talk about worry. And at the beginning of that, he says, Lay not up for yourself treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That should be the governing principle of all our life in this material world. In work, in the pursuit of wealth, and in worry about material things. This is not only something for all of our life to be governed by, but it's something for all of us to hear. Something that applies to all of us. And I say that because it's not only for the wealthy, but also for those with not much. And we'll see that in the sermon. But also, it's not only for the adults, but also the children. Or not only for the working man who wants to be established or work towards retirement, but also for the young people who are in a transition in their life. What am I going to do with my life? Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And that should govern our work, our education choices, our material acquisition, our food and our clothing, and even things like our popularity and our name and reputation. So let's consider tonight... Your heart and your treasure. Those are two things that Jesus talks about in these verses. We want to notice first the connection between heart and treasure. Then second, the command that Jesus gives here. And then third, the reasons that Jesus adds. Verse 21 is the key verse here tonight. And if we understand verse 21... We really understand everything that Jesus says here. So Jesus says in verse 21, it's a profound proverb, we could call it. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And there's a connection here between treasure and heart. What is treasure? Well, the word treasure occurs in the words of the text this evening, both in the form of a noun treasures in heaven and treasures on earth, and also in the form of a verb. You don't see that in the English, but the word lay up for yourself is one word which really means treasure. So we could translate the verse this way, treasure not for yourself, treasures on earth, but treasure for yourself, treasures in heaven. And so it's talking not only about the object of our treasure, but the activity of treasuring. And Jesus is really talking here about what's most important to you. What is it that's most important to you? What is it that you wake up for in the morning? What is it that motivates you to go to work? What is it that moves you and moves your decisions in your life? What is your purpose in living? That's what Jesus has here in mind. What are you living for? 
And it's important for us to see here that everyone, every human being, treasures something. There's something that's important. There's something that moves you. That's in the nature of man as God has created him. He pursues something to, we might say, fill his soul so that he's happy. That's in the nature of man as created. Think about these things. God created man a religious creature. That is, man knows that there's something outside of himself that's greater than himself, and he will pursue that thing, and he will worship that thing. So man pursues something outside of himself. God has put in this world, as he's created it, potential and mystery. This is behind education and invention, isn't it? In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2, it's put this way, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Think of all that God has concealed in this creation. Think of all the discoveries that man has made throughout history. And it's saying here it's our honor as kings to search out those things in the creation. And then also man is not independent. Man is interdependent and dependent as a creature on the creator. In a material world, there's so much that we depend on. In relationships, we depend on one another. And though man may not acknowledge it, as a creature, he's dependent on God. So, so we are created to pursue something, to treasure something. Man will pursue and treasure something. And ultimately, there are only two categories of treasures. Treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. Treasures that are temporal and treasures that are eternal. And those two categories of treasures are mutually exclusive. You will pursue one or the other, and the pursuit of the one will shut out the pursuit of the other. That's verse 24 here. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is an interesting word. It refers to material possessions, but it's used here in the Bible in a negative sense where possessions have become the object of one's trust. The idol of possessions, the idol of material things. That's the idea here of mammon. It's a word that refers to the idolatry of material things. You cannot serve God and mammon. There's no mixing of the two. Two categories. Treasures in heaven or treasures on earth. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What that means is this, that the things that you live for, your treasures, reveal what's in your heart. Reveal your affections, your desires, your choices. There's a connection between treasures and heart. You cannot separate the two and that reception that that connection is an inner connection we could say as well as a reciprocal connection or a mutual connection when i say it's an inner connection i mean this that what you pursue externally comes from the heart and reveals what's in the heart the heart is the center of our being it's the essence of who we are it is the 
the seat of the soul, of our thinking, of our willing, of our desiring. The Scripture says, out of the heart are the issues of life. When you say something, it comes from your heart. Jesus says, out of the heart proceed adulteries, fornications, evil speaking, and so on. And when you pursue something then, that's showing where your heart is. It's revealing where your heart is. And just as there are only two categories of treasures, heavenly or earthly, so there's only one of two places that your heart can be. On the heavenly things or the earthly things. In verse 24 again, you cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus says, you will either hate the one or love the other. Where's your heart? That's the question we face tonight. Where's your love? Is it for God or for mammon? And your life shows your heart. That's the connection. And I say that's not just an inner connection, but a reciprocal connection. And what that means is we can really take the words of verse 21 and reverse them. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. And this reciprocal or mutual connection means this, that the more that you pursue what's in your heart, the more that you pursue what your love is, the more that thing, the object of your love, will govern your life. I suppose we can think of when a young man or a young woman fall in love, and the more deeply they fall in love, the more their life is governed by that love. And that's what Jesus is saying here. When you fill your soul with the object of your love, that will direct your living. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. And that means that there's a constant growth in pursuits in the life of man. Man is never satisfied. That's the idea. Man is never satisfied. And it, it's true in either direction. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 20 says this, that hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. And think of the burning pit of hell and the way it consumes and consumes and consumes to eternity. And the Bible says that man's lust, man's desire is like that. Man's eyes are like that. And that should be true for us as God's people as well. We sing this in the Psalter. When I in righteousness at last thy glorious face shall see, when all the weary night is past, and I awake with thee to view the glories that abide, then, then shall I be satisfied. But you know, there'll be a fullness in that, but a fullness that is forever be more and more satisfied 
with God when we've been there 10,000 years with no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. And so man comes to the end of his earthly life. And you see something of this, never satisfied. The one who treasures the earthly He'll have regrets because he missed out on some things. He'll speak of his accomplishments here on the earth. He'll hold on to and he'll want to hold on to and not let go of this earthly life and the relationships that he has here. His treasure is where his heart is. And the believing child of God, whose treasure in heaven is heaven, will say, that's my home. That's where I want to go. Let this go so that I may have that. Where your treasure is, your heart will be, and what you love will fill your soul and guide your living. So the commands. Jesus gives here both a negative and a positive command. Lay not up for yourself, or treasure not for yourself, treasures on earth, but treasure for yourself, treasures in heaven. And the best way to understand what the command of Jesus is here is to understand what these treasures are. What are these earthly treasures? And what are these heavenly treasures? And from the context and what follows here in this chapter, especially too when we look at the Gospel of Luke and the parallel passage there, the first thing that Jesus has in mind here are earthly possessions, mammon. Things that money can buy or even money itself. And you see that at the end of the chapter too, as Jesus goes on here in his instruction, he's talking about food and clothing. And he's talking about the pursuit of those and worry about those things. You're you're concerned. You're taking thought about tomorrow and what you'll eat and what you'll drink. Earthly things. And you see from, from that identification of what these earthly treasures are, that this is a word for believers. It is a word for us. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Heaven is our home. And yet, as we live here on the earth, we find that these are our concerns, and these are the things that we pursue, and these are the things that we're worried about, and these are the things that we're working for. And so this exhortation from Jesus comes to us as a draw towards riches and possessions, always something better that you want, always an angst in your soul about your financial situation. And the problem here is not the amount of wealth. Jesus is not saying here that it's wrong for us to be wealthy or to have possessions. The problem here is in the heart of man. You may have a wealthy man who seeks the things of heaven. And you may have a poor man who wants the things of this earth. And that's what he lives for. Not a question of wealth, but where's your heart? Where's your heart? Our nature is more, never satisfied. I want those new clothes. 
I want that good food. I want that new car. If I could just get that. And then there's something else. But these earthly treasures that Jesus speaks of here, these things that we pursue, that we lay our heart on, uh, are not only material things, but all kinds of things which really money cannot buy. There are things that money can buy, but there are also all kinds of things that we can pursue on this earth that money cannot buy. Anything that you might turn into an idol, anything that has your affection in an inappropriate way, that's an earthly treasure. It can even be something that's good. And so some will live for their name and reputation so that more than anything in the world, anything else in the world, you want a good name. You want to please people. You imagine what they're saying about you. You want their approval. And that's the context here of the scribes and the Pharisees, isn't it? They did their works. They gave their gifts. They prayed to be seen of men. They reflected in the minds of others what people were saying about them. These earthly treasures can be some accomplishment, something that you've achieved or that you want to achieve. You hold the sports record in high school. You want to be the top of the class. They can be relationships or even just the idea of a certain relationship. You think that that will be the key to happiness. And you pursue it that way. It could be something that you've built, a business, an institution that you're a part of. It can even be something good. You can make an idol of your children. Or it can be the things that we should never pursue. Alcohol, sexual gratification, living for parties and the weekend. And you treasure these things. Jesus' command is, lay not up for yourself. Stop treasuring these things, literally. Stop treasuring these things. And it's interesting that Jesus is talking here to a group of his followers who are sitting with him on the hills, uh, on the green hills. And maybe even among them, there were a few that had some means, but for the most part, these were poor people. And, and Jesus is realizing that in the heart of man is this problem. He wants more. We all pursue something. We all live for something. Where's your heart? Is it on these earthly treasures? The other command of Jesus, the positive, is lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, or treasure the treasures of heaven. What are those heavenly treasures? I've divided these into three categories, and as we think about these, we need to be asking our question, are these the things that are important to me? Is this what I live for? Is this what I love? The first category, there are the treasures of heaven are the things that we will receive when we come to heaven. 
We don't have them yet, but we will when we come to heaven. So the Bible speaks of things like this, the crown of life, the inheritance incorruptible, being delivered from the body of this death, seeing our Savior face to face, the Father's house of many mansions and our place in it, ruling with Jesus Christ, perfect peace, so much more. Heaven and its perfection. It's good for us to go through the Bible and find these things that we will receive when finally we come to glory. And they're all related to what Jesus is talking about here. Is this the pursuit of your life? Philippians chapter 3. This was the pursuit of Paul's life. This is a rather lengthy section. I'm just going to read three verses here. Philippians chapter 3, first verse 8. Paul says, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I might win Christ. And then verse 11, If by any means... I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is thinking about heaven. He's thinking about what he will receive. He's thinking about the final reward, the prize. And he's saying nothing else matters but that I may win Christ and be found in him. Is that the direction and the affection of your life? So first, they are the things that we will receive when finally we come to heaven. But then second, these heavenly treasures are the things that we have already now that will last to heaven that we'll continue to have in our possession as we go through death and the grave and into heaven. And now you can think of, especially this, the blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ and in our salvation. The gift of the Holy Spirit in regeneration. Our standing with God in our justification. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our holiness and our sanctification in which we have a new life of Jesus Christ and we hate sin and we live in repentance. Our preservation. He that's begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will never be taken from you. We have these things, and we will continue to have them to eternity. But it's more than just those, those, I'll say, doctrinal aspects of what our salvation is, what we sometimes call the ordo salutis. No, it's all the experience of the Christian life in this world. Think of the promises of Jesus. He says, peace I leave with you. 
He says, your prayers are going to be answered. Whatsoever you ask in my name, you will receive it. Think of the experience of the love of God in our hearts. Romans 5 verse 5, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given unto us. Think of the joy and the contentment that's ours in the forgiveness of sins and the life that we have with Jesus Christ. These are the things that we experience. These are the things that we have in the present. Think of the the power that we have by the grace of God in the face of temptation so that there's no temptation that's taken us. But God won't provide a way of escape. Power in His grace. All things that we have now that we will have to eternity. And again, it's good to go through the Scriptures and Write down these things and then ask yourself the question. Do I treasure these? Is this why I live? Is this what I get up for in the morning? So there are the things that we will have. There are the things that we do have now that will last to eternity. And then third, the treasures of heaven are those things that God has given to us in the present that are necessary in this sinful world to direct us towards these heavenly treasures. What we call the means of grace. And now I refer to that not just in the narrow sense of the means of grace in the church, the sacraments, and preaching, but all the means of grace that God has given to us in our life that are used by Him to direct us as signposts, as it were, on the pathway to heaven. He's given us prayer. You treasure it. He's given us the scriptures to read. Do do you treasure it? He's given us Christian homes and Christian friendships and godly spouses. Do you treasure those things? He's given us church and life in the body. Are these the things, these things that God has given to you that direct us towards heaven? Are these the things that you pursue? Laying up treasures in heaven. Let me give you a couple of biblical examples. Daniel in Babylon. He had a position of power. He had comfort and luxury. He had wealth. And what did Daniel do? Did it get to his head? For 70 years, he lived in prayer. He lived in the Scriptures. He read what he had in his possession somehow from Jeremiah, the scrolls. And he was able to determine the numbers of the years and the promises of God regarding the return to captivity. In Daniel chapter 9, he sought the good of the captives to return to Jerusalem, and he prayed to God a prayer of repentance. He set his heart on heavenly treasures. Or think of Moses in Egypt. He's described in Hebrews chapter 11 this way, that rather than enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season, he chose by his faith, to suffer reproach with the people of God. And it was because he had his eye on the recompense of the reward. 
He was thinking about what he would receive. He was thinking about what he had that he would keep. And he was thinking about the means of grace. Those were his treasures. So what's your orientation? Remember Lot. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. The land was not able to bear the flocks of Lot and Abram. And Abram said to Lot, Lot, why don't you choose which part of the land you want? And Lot looked out and he saw the watered plains of Jordan towards Sodom. And he said, that's where I want to take my cattle. He was thinking of full stomachs for his cattle. He was thinking of wealth and its increase. And he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And we all know where he ended up. And we all know what happened to his children. As he said, his treasures on earthly things. Whereas Abraham, we're told in Hebrews 11, had his eye on the city that had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. And he remembered that he was a pilgrim and a stranger in the earth. Where's your heart? What's your affection? What's your orientation? But speaking of Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 turns over to Hebrews chapter 12. And we have a great example in Jesus Christ for us to follow. Wherefore, seeing, this is Hebrews 12 verse 1, Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. This is those who live by faith with their eye on the promise. As pilgrims and strangers. And they were able to endure so much by faith. And it says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So really, we're, we're seeking Him, aren't we? He's the treasure. He's the object of our affection. We look to Him. And He did this. For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame. Consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest you be weary and faint in your minds. Are you walking with Him? Is He your all? Is that where your heart is? So that your heart is filled with Him and that governs your life. What does your life say about where your heart is tonight? Jesus gives to us here examples to encourage us. This is always a struggle, isn't it? And so he gives us here three examples and these uh, three reasons for why uh, we should seek the things and pursue the things that are the treasures of heaven. And he uses three illustrations. And now you understand why Jesus uses illustrations. He uses illustrations to make the point clear and to make his point helpful. An illustration is something that you remember. 
Why should we not pursue the things of the earth? What are the reasons? Well, three basic reasons. Because they're vanishing. Because they encroach. And because they enslave. But Jesus gives us three illustrations to help us understand those things. First of all, the things of this earth are vanishing. Lay not up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Jesus points here to the vanity of earthly pursuits and in contrast to it, the eternal value of heavenly pursuits where moth and rust do not corrupt and where thieves cannot break through and steal. Moth, rust, thieves, these are things that will take away our earthly treasures from us. Moth. Our clothes will get holes in them. Possessions. They will age. That new car is going to rust, especially in Michigan. Nothing is secure here. Things disappear, even though you lock them down. And in fact, this is the truth. God plans to take all those earthly treasures from you. And death will be the great leveler in which there are no poor or rich. So Proverbs 23 verse 5 says, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not vanity? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. A man has wealth one day. And it grows wings, and it's gone the next. And so 1 Timothy 6 says, Trust not in uncertain riches, but in the living God. And of course, this is true not just of wealth and possessions, but your name, your achievements, whatever it is that you you are pursuing here that's an earthly treasure, how foolish to set your heart on those things, to pursue those things, how Helpful, this illustration of Jesus. If you can lock it up, it's not going to last. If it can rust, it's not going to last. Don't set your heart on those things. Heavenly treasures, on the other hand, are untouchable. Nothing will ever happen to destroy them or to take them from you. They have forever value. And that begins, of course, with our salvation and all that's connected to it. Jesus says, labor not for the meat that perisheth, but for the meat that endureth to eternal life. Invest yourself in those things that have eternal value. The second illustration, it's a rather lengthy one and somewhat difficult to understand. In verses 22 and 23, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil or unhealthy, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. And this illustration of Jesus teaches us that earthly treasures cloud our vision and bring darkness into our souls. The light of the body, he says, is the eye. The eye is like the window that brings light into our body so that we can see. 
It's talking about clear vision. And what is it that clouds our vision? It's earthly possessions and the pursuit of those things. They become like cataracts. And then we can't see clearly, and then we stumble. That's the idea here. And there's an enslaving power then. The, the eye illustration here is very example, a, a very helpful example because the eye not only brings light in, but the eye in a sense is a window to the soul. It's, it's like verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you're laying your eyes upon shows what's going on in your soul, where your affections are. The window to the soul. Lust and desire are ensnaring. And they bring darkness into your soul. Doesn't Satan want to blind us with the glitter and the glamour of earthly things? So earthly treasure clouds your vision and brings darkness into your soul. Don't pursue it. That's what Jesus is saying. And then the third reason, we've talked about this already, but verse 24, no man can serve two masters, masters, slaves. You're going to serve one or the other. They are mutually exclusive. It's impossible to have a mixed pursuit, Jesus is saying here. Think of what he says in, in Matthew chapter 19, how difficult it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not impossible. The disciples ask, does that mean it's impossible? Jesus says, no, with God all things are possible. But there's a warning here, isn't there? A warning against the desire to be rich. Sometimes I ask that question in catechism of the young people. Is it okay to want to be rich? Yeah, I think so. No, it's not biblical. They that will be rich, they that have a desire to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare. Think of the great prayer of Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches. We, we understand the prayer. Lord, I don't want to be poor. But what about the prayer, I don't want to be rich? Lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? What's it done? It's ensnared the soul. You cannot serve God and mammon. And so the closing exhortation for verse 24, which really sums up what Jesus is teaching us here, is this, to love God. Love God. With all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. He will hate the one and love the other. Where's your heart? What are you treasuring? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Amen. Father, we're thankful for the Savior's helpful instruction. 
We realize the danger and the temptations. We pray that the word may speak with power to our lives so that where repentance is necessary, it comes, and that our affection and heart may be after the treasures of heaven, the Savior himself, and our love for thee. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.